Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Hello and welcome back to the Agents of Innovation podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and we are just thankful to have you listening. Uh, we are now at episode 41, and this episode is going to feature a great interview with Connor Wilson, the co-founder of Thursday Boot Company. He's going to tell us a little bit how he and his co-founder, Nolan, picked themselves up from the bootstraps and started a company that's now accelerating into the marketplace uh, so fast, only a few years in, and they're one of the hottest boot companies on the market. So we're going to hear all about his story and how he started Thursday Boot Company. Um we also are going to feature uh, a song at the end of this episode by Steve Everett. He's got a brand new song called Good Love on a brand new album called Honest Graft. And Steve was on this uh, Agents of Innovation podcast way back on episode three. Steve Everett has always told us he believes in us, and he did. And so we're at 41 episodes now. We were at three when he was on, and we believe in Steve, too. So I've picked up the Honest Graft album. It's really great. Um, actually, just an amazing sound, like, start to finish. So pick it up and, and support Steve and his efforts, and I'm sure he's out there on tour. that You can go see him, uh, so you can find him on at steveverett.net, uh, I believe, is his website. And so, um, uh, anyway, Google Steve Everett Music, and you can find him uh, when he's coming to your town but uh thank you steve for letting us play your song good love at the end of this episode uh as far as finding all of the stuff for agents of innovation go to our website agentsofinnovation.org you'll find the episode archive you'll find links to our facebook our twitter our instagram and also blogs about every single episode and all of our guests including connor wilson from the thursday boot company so thanks for being with us here on episode 41 we've got a great interview coming up with connor I want to welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, Connor Wilson. Connor is the co-founder of Thursday Boot Company. Connor, welcome. Hey, Francisco. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much. We're really pleased to have you. You've got a, a pretty unique story. I know you uh, you founded this uh, this company um, with with one of your friends, right, from uh, business school. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. We uh, we met our first day of class. Uh, my co-founder is a guy named Nolan Walsh, and um, we we became friends very very fast. But but met the first day of class, and uh, you know, fast forward a few more years, and we've uh, we've been friends for four years now in business. So tell us a little bit about Thursday Boot Company. Um, I mean, you know, it sounds uh, a little bit self-explanatory. It's a boot company, but uh, but it's unique. And uh, tell us a little bit of how you got to uh, where you are and, and why you started it. Yeah, I think I you know the, if someone had told me a few years ago that we'd be starting a boot company um and that it would be one of like the fastest growing consumer brands in the US, I would uh I would have been a little bit surprised <laughs> to say the least. Um when we started this, we were both graduate students and we, you know, had come into New York looking for good pairs of shoes for the winter. Um I I specifically had been wearing a pair of Ariats uh that I had taken back from Santa Fe 
and, uh, you know, about four or five times almost cracking my head open on subway uh, street grates and, and realizing that you know, a pair of cowboy boots wasn't really going to work for New York City, um, I started shopping around for a proper pair of footwear. And when I went out to look for that, um, it was really just a series of really bad opportunities out there. Uh, you could get these really expensive work boots that were durable. They were tough, but you kind of look like a lumberjack. They're not comfortable. Um, and you're spending, you know, upwards of like 350 bucks, which, you know, I just didn't want to do that for a pair of boots I didn't like. I didn't really like the affordability there. Uh, you have these other fashion boots that are, they look a little bit better. You can wear them with a suit, but they're so precious that you really can't beat them up. You can't wear them really tough. They don't really have the durability or the comfort that you need. Uh, and then you've got these like really cheap kind of fashion fall apart, you know, hundred dollar boots that are weirdly branded and they've got weird materials, um, and they fall apart after a few months. Um, and so I just kind of got frustrated by that. And, and that was the first inclination that we had that there was something going on in the boot market that just wasn't right. Um, and, and Nolan had had similar issues independently of that. And we started talking about it and it just kind of like lingered there for a little bit. And we were working on other projects as students and we were just living our lives um, but then the realization kind of came that, you know, there, there really wasn't a great boot out there that you could wear for everyday use and something that was going to be both durable enough to take on the weather and whatever you throw at it also going to be, you know, sophisticated and stylish enough that you can really dress it up with almost anything in your wardrobe and then being really comfortable and, and also at a, a really good value. Um, that was really just the, the simple innovation was that there wasn't really kind of that, that Goldilocks type product where it really hit everything that you needed it to. Um, and once we realized that, we got really excited because we thought it doesn't exist, it should exist, and we think we can build it. So you're, you're thinking about this while you're in uh, business school. And, and then uh, I, I read a little bit about how you and Nolan took a, a surfing trip down to Nicaragua. And is this where the, the idea kind of uh, started to materialize? No pun yeah, intended. I, well, so it's like I said, it, it, it had kind of been like kind of percolating, right? You know, it's one of those things where sometimes you don't recognize the great idea right when it first hits you. Um, but when you come back and you, you view it again in a, a second light or a third time or a fourth time, suddenly you go, oh, wait a minute, that's a great idea. Um, the, the short answer is we were out uh, surfing in Nicaragua and a chance encounter had run into some guys who uh, had, you know, they, they, they were talking about these these small workshops um, in in parts of Guatemala, which is adjacent, saying that, you know, they, they can, you can build boots, you can build shoes there. And it kind of like struck us. We said, wait a second, we could do that. We could actually, you know, partner with people that, that are actually expert at building shoes and boots. And we could work with them to design what we're talking about to actually make that happen. Um, and that's where it started. It was just the, just really kind of the realization that, oh my gosh, you can make this happen. Of, of course, like, you know, that's the start, you know, fast forward and you end up contacting 200 factories around the world. So you find the best partners and you have lots of iterations and lots of steps along the way. Uh, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Um, but yeah, it was really that spark and that idea while we were traveling where we realized, uh, this is something that we're capable of doing and we should. Well, good. So then you, you head back. Um, I, I assume this is while you're still in grad school or business school, right? Correct. And so you, you get back to New York and, uh, you know, um, I know most of your classmates are hitting the books. Uh, and, you know, you've probably got a lot of, uh, of schoolwork ahead of you, a lot of uh, money invested in that. Uh, what do you do? I mean, for us, the, the problem is once we kind of realized that this was a viable idea, we, we really couldn't do anything else. <laughs> we just sort of had to pursue it. Um, and, and literally from the get-go, uh, which was pretty common is most folks will, will go get an internship between their first and second year. We, we both said we're not going to do that. We've got a limited amount of time. We're so excited about this. We know it's going to be you know, really compelling if we can do it right. 
So we started it, you know, it was on a Monday, I think, that we decided we were going to do this. And we just started plugging away right away. Within three or four days, we had booked a flight to go visit factories and actually meet people and see how shoes were being made. We were researching and doing everything we could to learn about what really constituted a quality shoe versus a, a low-quality shoe, um, who makes the best shoes, who are the best suppliers. We were talking to everyone we could around New York City, literally just like knocking on doors, cold emails to, to professors, whether it was at Columbia or at Parsons or our Fashion Institute of Technology, just doing everything we could to basically get a meeting, get in front of people and accelerate our knowledge. Um, and what's cool is that that approach worked really well because within a pretty short amount of time, you know, we actually went from from not knowing much of anything to having really good working prototypes. And, and that was like a lot of fun. And so you're uh, you're knocking on these doors and making these calls. Uh, are these to people in the in the, uh, the the shoe industry, the boot industry? Um, who who are you calling, and and uh, and why are they opening their doors to you? You know, a lot of people didn't open their doors to us. So just to be really clear, when I say we contacted 200 factories. Part of the reason is because you you kind of have to, um, you know, put it in context. We were two graduate students uh, with no money with no experience in the industry, uh, why would anyone take us seriously? And I think one of like the great lessons that we learned in that, you know, one is, is persistence is, is always the name of the game. Um, you're not going to have people just agree with you or do what you want them to do for the first request. You sometimes have to get out there and say, look, I know you don't know who I am and I don't have any reason for you to really <laughs> take me seriously other than I'm really serious about this. I'm really passionate about this. Uh, and so we just kind of went out there, maybe a little bit more naive than we should have been, but um, we made up for it with just a lot of persistence, a lot of passion, and a lot of energy. Um, and you know, so certainly folks that uh, that did ignore us along the way, um, but we had enough people who picked up the phone, who opened the door, and said, you know what, I'm willing to take a flyer on you guys. I'll give you 30 minutes of my time, or I'll introduce you to this friend of mine, or you know what, yeah, we we can do some prototypes together, and let's see if we can get some shoes off the ground. Well, that's great. So. Um so what year was this when you, when you were on this uh, trip in Nicaragua and then, and then, and then the summer that you started working, uh, you know, between your, 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 uh, first and second year. Uh, so this would be summer of 2014. So just four years ago. Okay. Um, and, and, and this is a, a hot product now, <laughs> so <laughs> that's pretty, pretty fast. But, uh, so when was, uh, I, I guess, you know, I read a little bit about how you guys were in Guatemala and you, uh, saw how, people were actually being able to make what you were kind of dreaming of making uh, for a lot less than people in the States say could be, uh, uh, could be purchasing it for. Uh, so what was that experience like there in Guatemala? And then also uh, where, when did you make your first uh, boot that you brought to market? Yeah, so Guatemala was really just the first step in a long journey. When I say 200 factories around the world, I mean we contacted folks in in Europe, in Spain, Portugal, Italy, we were Brazil, India, China, Vietnam, Taiwan, the U.S., Canada, literally contacting anyone who was willing to talk to us. Um, and when we started doing that process, you start to realize also who the good factories are. You start to recognize that certain people are better at different things or different types of constructions. Um, so we ended up actually producing our first production batch in Mexico. And we now produce all of our boots in either uh, the U.S. or in Mexico. So it's all based in North America. Uh, for us, it's always been a question of quality first and foremost rather than geography. Um, but the the key for for selecting any partner is who's going to be able to to help me achieve my goals. 
And what we had realized when we started researching and like learning about the market was that more or less, you know, customers have been getting ripped off for a very long time. Uh, and it's, it's partly because the distribution model is just really inefficient. We, we all end up going to stores and I think, I think this is a pretty well told story at this point, but the reality is that we go to these stores and we don't realize how much more the, the, the shoes are being marked up. And it doesn't really give you that much value as a consumer. It's not like you're getting expert advice. It doesn't make the product any better. Um, and we realized, you know, there's a lot of people in a position like us where they didn't want to spend that kind of money on boots that they didn't love that weren't comfortable. Uh, so for us, it was just this really exciting opportunity where we knew that the, the quote unquote, the competition, uh, which was these big legacy boot makers, uh, that they weren't moving quickly and they didn't really care as much about the customer. And so for us, it was a way to, to really get in tune with what we wanted uh, and build it on our own terms. Now, Thursday Boot Company, are these only available online? 99% of our sales are through our, our online channels. And uh, the reason for that is mostly that we want to control the customer experience. We really want to be close to our customers. We love getting feedback, positive or negative. Uh, it's mostly positive, obviously. But um, you know, the way we view it is that anything that we're building is really a work in progress. And whatever I may want for myself, uh, we now have a large and growing community. And I really want to be able to provide products that they love and enjoy. Um, the one exception is we also do have a showroom in New York City and that's actually been a really cool experience, too, because people can come in, try on the boots, meet us. And uh, it's also given us a lot of really great insights in terms of what should we do next, um, whether it's dress shoes or women's boots or um, even some accessories and, and other cool new product categories. So how are you um, uh, cutting the cost? Is it is it mostly because uh, they're online sales or are there other ways as well? The biggest thing is the distribution model. Um, if, again, it goes back to this point where there are these intermediaries that exist between um, where the product is produced and where it actually goes to the final customer. And, and the reality is that if you're buying from a third-party distributor or you're buying from like a brick-and-mortar retail store, there's a lot of costs that are built into that, whether it's physical real estate, whether it's like trainees, or whether it's a completely you know, uninvolved um, you know, third party that that doesn't have anything to really add the value to the experience. Think about any time you've gone to a shoe store, right? You just kind of grab something off the wall and it's not a great experience, but because of, of the way it's done, you end up paying a lot more for it. So what we love is that we're actually able to be really tight with our customers. And so we aren't buying inventory that we don't need. And at the same time, because we're offering it direct to our consumers, we also are able to offer it at a much better price point. So I'm one of these people who... Um probably prefers to buy my shoes in a store mostly because I got to see how it fits, you know, um, not only that it actually fits, but that it's comfortable, I can walk in it, all these things. So tell me, uh, for somebody like me, uh, how can you make that uh, kind of process for me uh, doable uh, through through the online experience? I think that's I think that's like one of the the kind of exciting parts about this this channel is in retail overall is changing this way. So I totally feel you, right? It is it can be convenient and can be um, it's maybe a little bit really lower risk to go into a store and to walk out knowing exactly what you have. Um, and that's also why we have the showroom is that people do find you know some comfort in that. But I think if you go back and you explore like what you're actually paying for, you know, how much is that, is that experience worth it to you? Is it worth an extra $150 or an extra $200 just to have that experience? Or if I can provide free exchanges and returns and ship it right to your house or to your office. And by the way, if it doesn't fit, you can just send it back. It's super easy. It takes two minutes. A lot of people actually find that to be a, a much less stressful 
and a much easier way to do business and to, to actually do their purchasing. And what I think is kind of cool is that customers and, and consumers are starting to become aware of the fact that that even if they do have a, salt, a preference for that, and many people just like went online, if you do have a preference for brick and mortar, there's like such a such a higher cost associated with it that it's starting to change. And what's interesting is, you know, I, I talk to to a lot of people, but I find, you know, I'm, I'm catching up with my parents, and they're buying online like they never did before. And I think that's super interesting because we will see more adoption over time, and and this is literally going to transform entire industries. No, you're right. Well, it's funny I say that, but my last pair of dress shoes I bought online. <laughs> but you know what? The mm-hmm. main the main reason was, um, you know, it was a brand that uh, I, I I normally wear a lot, and the, the, all of their uh, all of their outlet stores. This is Kenneth Cole. Uh, all of their outlet stores in Florida just closed, um, and in fact, even some of their main stores closed. And I, you know, I usually just go a lot of to their outlets, and uh, so I said, well, I guess I'll try this online thing because um, they said that's basically where the, where they're going. They're going online. Um, except for probably a handful of showrooms around the country. And so you're talking about a major, you know, uh, footwear company who has actually, I actually once worked for a Kenneth Cole when I was in college, uh, in South Florida. So I know that their experience, they really like that in customer experience selling the shoe. And, and, but even, even for a company like them, they appear to be going more online and, you know, I'm sure it's saving them a lot of cost and that's probably where the consumer is going a lot now as well. So so you guys are, 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 are starting there and pretty much our 99% of your market is there right now. So, um, well, that's, that's interesting. Uh, so tell me now your factories. Uh, you said there, uh, how many factories are you working with that producing uh, the Thursday uh, boot company um, uh, boots? And then, and then also, you know, where are they located and, and, and how's that process work for you? Yeah, so we currently operate with a, a network of four factories. Uh, they're all based in North America, either in Mexico or the United States, and we select them primarily based on quality. So there are certain factories that can do certain things really, really well. We have one factory that does excellent finesse work. All of our our shoes are our, our men's shoes are going to be some combination of a well to resolvable construction. So that's to put that in context, like less of less than one percent of all shoes uh, produced are going to use that method of construction in part because it's very expensive. But it's very high quality because it makes the shoes virtually waterproof and it makes them recraftable, meaning that you can own the same pair of shoes for years to come. Um, and so within that, even that category, there are folks that do really nice finesse work for dress shoes. There are people that do really good, like rugged, very tough boots. Um, and we really look for factory partners that are, are going to be, you know, basically the best at making that product that we want to release, whether it's a Chelsea boot or whether it's more of a service boot, or whether it's a dress loafer or, you know, just a, a lace up Oxford. So, um, that's kind of how we select them. The second criteria that we really focus on as well, we really want to work with ethical partners. Um, and, and this might sound, um, you know, depends on, on, on how you approach this for us. It's, it's really just about having partners that we know that we can trust and that we know that the people that work there are taken good care of. And we know that the product that we're releasing is something that we can really be proud of through the full chain. Uh, and I think something we take a lot of pride in is that it doesn't just go to our factories. It also goes to our sub suppliers as well. And our, our sub suppliers, you know, leather is a good example. We're, we're sourcing all of our leather from American cattle. And then our tanneries, which are the the suppliers that produce the actual leather, are based in either the U.S. or in Mexico. And these tanneries, there's a there's a wide disparity in terms of the quality of the leather that you're getting and the environmental impact. And so, you know, two of them that we we use the most uh, is Lafarque, which is based in Leon, Mexico. They're they're gold certified by the Leather Working Group by um, for for environmental stewardship. 
and then uh, Horween, which is based out of Chicago. And Horween actually makes all the football leather that you see in the NFL, which is kind of a cool little little thing there. We've, we've used some of that leather to make boots in the past, by the way. Um, but what's cool about them is they actually put water back into the city of Chicago that is cleaner than the water that they pull out. Wow. Well, that's not a surprise. Uh, <laughs> so, so like talk about a filtration system, but, but we, we really think about this stuff and part of it's just because those are our values and ethics as, as business people. Um, and also because we know that our customers care about it. You know, you want to feel good about what you're wearing and you want to feel good about who you're supporting. Um, and so we spend a lot more time on it than, than maybe we should, but, um, it is important to us. Well, that's great. Uh, you know, I think, you know, we always talk a lot about it. It's, uh, responsibility comes down to uh, when you're making these decisions, especially at the highest level. So I think that's, uh, that's really great that you guys are, are doing that, both uh, ethically for the people working there and also um, for the environment. Uh, it's, it's a good quality shoe as well. Um, well, let me also ask you, uh, as you were getting started and you know, you're, you're a college student, you're in business school, um, you, like you said, you, you, you're just, you're just starting this up and you don't have a lot of contacts within this industry. Um, how did you raise the money? I read a little bit about, uh, some Kickstarter campaigns. Um, but tell, tell us how you got the, the money to, to start these investments in your company. Oh yeah. Well, the, the first money in was from Nolan and I, and we, we didn't, uh, we didn't have a lot of it. We, we very much like bootstrapped this to start, which, which ends up being a perfect word for, for a company yeah. that makes boots. Um, you know, we, we actually literally just used our savings to get started. And so, you know, we, when we go and we travel, we, there are points where we're staying in like $12 hotel rooms because they're the cheapest hotel rooms. Um, you know, I would recommend to most everyone not to stay in a $12 hotel room unless you really need to, um, you know, spring for the $20 hotel room at least. Um, especially in Chicago. <laughs> well, no, couldn't find out in Chicago. Uh, that, that's more, that's more in Mexico. But, um, but yeah, I think it's one of those things where, um, we just didn't have a lot of money. Um, but we knew that we could do some, some rapid prototyping. We knew that we could get this off the ground. And for us, when we, we did launch, we launched on Kickstarter. Um, it was, it was twofold. One was we knew that if we wanted to do something at scale that we had to, to actually have some, some financing, you know, ready to go. And then the second thing too is also just a way to kind of test ourselves where we were really, really thrilled and really excited about the product we were building in part because we just, again, we knew that there needed to be like a Thursday boot in the world. It just, it needed to exist and we were going to be the ones to build it and this is the best thing ever. Um, but I think one thing you also have to be careful with as an entrepreneur is you can sometimes, uh, you know, you, you drink the Kool-Aid and you don't even realize that you're getting overboard or you're, you're on the wrong path. So it's really important to get feedback from people around you. And uh, one of the best ways to do it for you know, a consumer product like this was you, you put it out there and, and literally see what people think. Um, and we were really fortunate that it, it went massively in our favor. Um, and we've had that happen a few times you know, since with our, our women's launch and our men's dress shoe launch, uh, where people have just been, you know, the, the response has been overwhelmingly more positive than we would have anticipated, which is great. Um, but the other reason to do it is because you need to listen to people. And we've actually tried to make that a core value of the business where we really, really, really want to hear from our customers and we really want to hear what they think all the time. Um, and as I, as I go off on other tangents, I'll, I'll pause there. Yeah, no, I, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, you talked about how you really wanted to bring, you really thought that there needed to be this kind of boot brought into the world and you wanted to be the ones to do it. How much did that drive you uh, versus, let's say, just having a successful business period? Um, you know, just wanting to be a successful out in the marketplace with some, some idea 
you know, you're going to business school, you want to be a, maybe an entrepreneur, but for you and Nolan, for some, whatever reason, you guys are obsessive about having a nice boot at a certain price at, you know, that's going to last you a certain long time. Uh, how, how much did your personal interest in bringing this kind of boot to market drive you in terms of uh, this business? I mean, we, when we first started too, you know, one of the, like the key questions we asked ourselves was, is this something that we think is authentic to who we are as individuals? And, you know, the fortunate answer is like, actually, yeah, you, you look back on your history and you start to realize, you know, I'm from Colorado. I've been wearing cowboy boots since I was a kid. So I've been, I've been literally, you know, since age six, putting on some form of a boot in one way or another. Um, you know, I look back on this, uh, I used to do shoe reviews when I was running track and cross country in college to make a little bit of extra money on the side. Uh, and we were, those, those shoes were being sold online through Amazon. So you start to kind of find these, uh, these weird threads and, and it did feel, um, you know, like it was something that, that again, that I could do well, something that was really authentic to me. Um, I think another thing that's sort of interesting too, and this actually goes back to the ethics, um, you know, Nolan is actually a vegetarian. And so when we started talking about this, it's like we're going to make a leather boot company, um, you know, which uses natural products, but including, of course, cattle. And so you know, how do you kind of reconcile that? How do you make that work? And one of the big you know, constraints of, of this industry of footwear in general is it, it tends to be massively wasteful. There's a lot of just like bad quality, mass produced, cheap stuff out there, and it ends up in a landfill and it's really bad for the environment. And so our way of approaching it was if we can build something where we're actually taking what is a byproduct, right? Like the leather would otherwise just get thrown out or converted into something else because it's all just a byproduct of the meat industry. We can actually find a way to preserve this and take something that would have been trash and we can actually make it into something beautiful that's going to last for a very long time. That's a good thing. And and it's one of those things where you, you do that, you say, that's a, something I can get behind. That's something I can get really excited about, be really passionate about. And then I start looking at, you know, again, like there's nothing out there for customers. There's no no good option. You're either overpaying for something that's not comfortable, doesn't work, uh, or you underpay for something that falls apart. And so it became a bit more of a crusade where it was like, look, we can we can offer a better product to people. We're going to help them. And and once you start to, you know, get your your mind around that, it's really, really exciting. That's, and, and that's the point is once we started, we, we couldn't do anything else. There was, you know, we were done. <laughs> it was hopeless. So we had to do it. Well, that's good. Well, and is it something, uh, so you're, you know, four years in almost from the original idea, uh, you know, fomenting there and, and going after it. Uh, I think you and I were supposed to, uh, get together on this interview a week ago. <laughs> um, and I believe it was like 6 PM on a Sunday night. And I think you said something like you had a meeting or I can't remember what you're, but it was something work related. And I was like, it's 6 PM on Sunday. Uh, I thought maybe I was interrupting your family life or something, but, uh, <laughs> so, <No. laughs> so, uh, so, and, and then I was also reading that Nolan talked about, over the last three years, he thinks he's taken five days off, and that included weekends. Uh, so tell yeah. me about how much um, this is consuming your time, but also uh, are, are you enjoying that time? Yeah, no, we're, 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 we're terrible friends. <laughs> That's the short answer. Um, no, it, it, it's an honest answer that we've, we've been doing this seven days a week uh, for four years, basically. Um, and part of it's just because there's a lot of work to do. Part of it's because we've kept, you know, very intentionally a very small, scrappy, really hardworking team. Um, and so there's always a lot to get done. And then part of it, though, is just like we, we just see so many opportunities in, in terms of like ways to make the business better, ways to make the product better, ways to improve the experience for our customers. 
Um, we're really fortunate to have a great team of people that have joined us and helped us build it. Um, what, what we started with was just the two of us, of course, but now we've, we've got an expanded team that, you know, we're, I'm not doing everything, which is wonderful because there are people who are so much better. <laughs> and I don't know for us, it's like, uh, I would much rather put in the effort and, and make sure that we're, we're putting in the hours to get to where we want to go. Um, because we think we have such a huge opportunity ahead of us. Um, I would hate to look back and think, wow, you had this golden opportunity to build a, a really differentiated business to do something really, really cool that very few people get to do and then to not have done it because we just didn't put in the time. Um, so I would say we have a very strong work ethic um, and it's become something of a, of a distinguishing factor in terms of creating a culture where everyone who's on the team really wants to, to be someone and to, to build something that's exceptional. Now, how many people do you have sort of uh, on your core team at, uh, at the, I know you work with different partners and factories and everything, but kind of working right there with you? We're, we're about a dozen people right now. And I, I think one thing that's so fun about that is like you, you know, we went out on, on Friday night to celebrate. Uh, we just launched our men's dress shoes. We, we sold out of our entire initial production run in, in less than eight hours. Uh, it was something like we sold like a pair of shoes every eight seconds. Uh, which is insane, and and we we would not have anticipated just a few days prior. We were like, we'll we'll, we'll probably sell this amount, but we sold through the entire run, um, literally before the morning had even really broke. Uh, so we went out and we celebrated with the team and and went out for some food and some shuffleboard in Brooklyn, and you know it's it's like a small team and everyone's looking at you know each other so well. It really ends up being, um, I don't know, it, it, it's just special. I'd I'd much rather build something I'm really passionate about with a group of people who I care deeply about than to be part of some some large organization where it's sort of every person out for themselves. And I think we've we've done a really good job of of building a culture and and finding being fortunate to find like the right people for that. So um well, I'm rambling again, that, but it's it's been great. Yeah, now it'll be about, you know, sustaining that growth and sustaining that uh you know that 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 um that atmosphere you have um as you grow as well. Um well uh also, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, you guys weren't in this industry. You were coming in to it from the outside uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, sort of, um, you know, as outsiders to this, mar- you know, you were, how, did you see something that maybe people in the industry couldn't see because they were so entrenched in it? Uh, what, what do you think about that? I, I think there's there's a lot of things that come at play and there's there's like a thousand different books or articles I could cite. But I think the idea of, of coming in as a beginner can be so powerful because you don't walk in with these entrenched assumptions that everyone else has. And and it's it's one of those things I think is kind of beautiful. Like when we came in, we were talking to all these guys who are these old shoe dogs who've been doing the same thing for a really long time. And there's a lot of stuff that they know that still that we don't know. And that's OK, too. Um, but the big fundamental takeaway that we had that, that they did not have was we were looking at what was being offered. Everyone who's been doing this forever is like, these are, these are, this is a good product, good price point, good experience. And we looked at it and we said, the product's not good. The, the price point's not good. The experience isn't good. And you couldn't convince them otherwise. If you tried to tell them that they would just deny it. Whereas for us, we looked at it and we said, these are all just opportunities. And I think for us, the realization when, when you find someone who's like set in their ways or says this can't be done, we're just the type of people that are always like, no, <laughs> we, we tell me it can't be done and I'm going to try to find a way to make it happen. I'm going to work twice as hard just to find a way to prove you wrong. And you know, for us, it was, uh, there is an opportunity. Part of it's just what's happening with the internet. Part of it's what's happening with consumer tastes. People are getting more educated on, on what actually constitutes quality. 
Um, but for us, it was just super exciting to, to run into all these people saying what you're doing doesn't make sense. It was actually in many ways a confirmation that what we were doing was exactly what we should be doing. Yeah, that's interesting. And then, and then you mentioned, uh, you know, the internet, uh, I mean, something like this probably wouldn't be possible before the internet, as far as your approach, uh, to tell me if I'm wrong about that, but how has that helped or, or, uh, your, 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 you know, this business and this concept to take off? I think, I think the thing where the, I think the big difference that the internet makes is that it allows you to really build a community in a way that you weren't able to before. Um, on some level, what we're doing is, is sort of just like a reinvention of the catalog model, which has been around for a long period of time, right? Where you have a direct relationship with your customer. But what's different about it is that we actually are able to interact with our customer in a way where it's just a lot more timely. It's a lot more natural, um, whether that's through email, whether it's through in-person phone calls, Instagram, um, you actually end up having like a group of folks that you're literally connecting with on a daily basis. And for us, it's super valuable, not just because it's fun and you get to hear, you know, people are telling you about the, the adventures they had in their Thursdays, but it's also this idea that, that I'm able to get that feedback. I'm able to be in tune and in touch with what my customers actually want versus me saying, here's what we, we're going to sell to you, which I just never really liked. It's, there's something kind of like, uh, I don't know. It just feels a lot more democratic and a lot more open and a lot more of a dialogue. And I just think that's such a better way to do business. Yeah, no. Well, it seems like it's uh, it's helping you guys succeed. Um, and I know, uh, Connor, you, you guys are all over all the social media platforms so people can find you on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and and uh, and your and your website. Uh, remind me again. Thursdayboots.com. Thursdayboots.com. Well, before we go, um, I, I want to ask you two questions. Uh, but the first one is something I've been asking of my last few uh, interviewees. Um, and it was inspired by a book I read recently by Ben Sass, um, The Vanishing American Adult. But in the book, he talked about how he likes to ask people uh, when he meets them, what was their first job? And, uh, so I want to ask you that, what was your first job? I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit. My, 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 I'm going to tell you my first and my second job. Um, but they were, they were both in food service and, and they both left a very big impression on me. Um, and I think the second one's probably more valuable. First one was, I, I was, uh, I, I was scooping ice cream and making coffee at a, uh, a gelato shop, uh, which was great because the first rule was that you had to ta taste all the gelato to make sure that nothing had gone bad which was a great, great perk when you're, you're 14, 15. Yeah. Um, but the job I had right after that, uh, I was waiting tables and working as a food runner at a restaurant in Lone Tree, Colorado. And what I loved about that, and it's actually continued to, to be very useful even for this role, is you are going to find you know, all ranges of human interaction where there's going to be some people who are just going to be terrible for no reason and you're going to have people who are going to be wonderful for no reason. And the beauty of working and waiting tables is you'll have times when you are the one who screwed it up. You messed up the order or the kitchen's not running right or something's gone wrong and you do everything you can to make it right. And no one's going to cut you slack. No one's going to give you a break and, and it just doesn't work. You get a bad tip. And then there are days when, when you, you do everything right. That, that's also the case. And there's days when you're doing everything wrong and then people are so generous whether it's with their, their attitude or with their money. And they'll say, you know what? I get it. I've been there. And what I love about it is it's, it's really kind of taught me the importance of persistence because you can't always control the outcome. You can control how you approach it. And if you put in the work over time, you know, the, the folks that aren't nice are going to kind of roll over and the people that are awesome are going to make, make your, your life. 
And uh, it's just something that's always stuck with me. It's a job I, I, I actually honestly still miss it a little bit, oddly enough. And I probably, I probably made more doing that than I do this. Uh, yeah, well, no, well, that, you know, it sounds like you learned a lot, and I, I agree. I think uh, you know the the interaction with customers uh, definitely, you know, uh, one, it's accountability for yourself, but it also you know gives you that experience of uh, handling different personalities and different people uh, at all times. Uh, but uh, also, I think that you know it's uh, it's something I think you've brought you know from to, to to the work you're doing now, and you talked talked a lot earlier in the interview about. Uh, you know, wanting uh, to really respond to the customer. And I don't know, maybe you got a little bit of that from waiting tables or scooping ice cream. Uh, completely, completely. <laughs> and it's, it's, well, it just goes back to, to saying, you know, just, just interacting with people like people. And, and it also requires you to kind of just be very uh, critical and, and self-improving all the time. And it's the key to moving forward. Well, uh, last question I'm going to ask you is um, what parting advice you, you might give to, uh, to would-be entrepreneurs? What have you learned? I, there's so many lessons to be learned. I, I think, uh, you know, and the, the, the reality is that you can get these lessons and, and good advice from a lot of people who've, who've done bigger things and are, are, are really, you know, really impressive folks. I, I think for me, it's just, I always tell people, you know, just get started, start moving on something. I, I talk to so many folks who think about this, who dream about it, who, who think they could be a good entrepreneur, but they just won't put one foot in front of the other. And I think there's nothing wrong with starting something and, and ending it. But I do think that there's a big problem if you never started in the first place. Um, so I would just say, look, you may love this. You may uh, you may hate this lifestyle. It, it isn't without some trade-offs <laughs> in terms of the amount of work that it requires and, uh, and the stress. Um, but if it's something that you think you'd enjoy, you owe it to yourself to try it. At least at least confirm if you're right. And, and then you can always do whatever you need to do next. Um, but get started. I think that's the key, the key advice. I think that's excellent advice. You know, it reminds me of a book I read probably five, six years ago uh, by a guy named Scott Belsky called Making Ideas Happen. And he talked a lot about, you know, most ideas actually uh, don't ever exit someone's brain um, because they never even share them with someone. Uh, but the ultimate goal of his book was just getting started in a sense, you know, putting, put, uh, putting things into action. And it kind of gives you the tools to do that. But uh, you are kind of the lived experience of that as you're going forward now with Thursday Boot Company. You've got a men's line. You've got a women's line. I see you got other accessories besides boots as well. So um, I encourage people to take a look at you. And, uh, uh, and, and probably, uh, you know, hopefully your factories can keep up with the uh, demand that's out there for you. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's why we're working on a Sunday. <laughs> there you sure go. There you go. All right. We'll take some Sundays off. God would appreciate that. So <laughs> anyway, um, wanted to... Uh, just say uh, thanks so much, Connor, uh, Connor Wilson, for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. And um, again, find him uh, with Thursday Boot Company. But thank you, Connor, so much for being here. Thank you, Francisco. This is a lot of fun. In the back of my mind, there's a bottle of bourbon and a girl that I met last night. Well, I took them both down to the edge of the river and we had a surreal good time, yeah. Conversation, should I call her and make her sweat? And I'm wondering if she took a sip of my whiskey with a piece of my heart in it. Well, good love, good love, good God, good love, and on the river shore. The whiskey is long gone, but the vibes from you and me still go. 
the scratches that I'm pretty sure came from you. Either that or I got on my being on the bottom of a hard-hidden kiss or two, yeah. There's a phone number written with a heart where the zero goes And I'm thinking of darling and drinking and smiling with a girl that I can't let go No well, Good love Good Lord Good God and good loving on the river shore The whiskey is long gone But the buzz from you and me still go Long gone, but the buzz from you. 